What do I want to do when I grow up? Or what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Those age-old confusing questions that some of us or all of us face. My name is Mickey Horvath, and I am the host of the Career Guy podcast, where we try to help you answer those difficult questions by interviewing a variety of guests and letting them share their stories about their careers and their career paths. So I'd like to welcome Amy Stanley today. I'll be interviewing her. Um, Amy works at Lakeland College. She is an instructor, and I believe she instructs mostly in animal animal science. She's got a BSc from the University University of Alberta, Alberta, in I think pre vet is what it is, pre veterinarian medicine. So with that, I'd like to just welcome Amy, and uh, to start things off. Uh, I've already sort of introduced your education a little bit, but uh, maybe you can highlight a little bit more about your education, or not highlight, but get into a little bit more details about your education and your interests. Sure. Um, so yeah, I got a Bachelor of Science um, from the U of A, um, and my I started off being kind of interested in potentially going to vet school or whatever when I first started university and kind of in in high school but then I quickly kind of figured out that that wasn't exactly the way I wanted to go and my so my degree is actually in um, animal health with a major in production animal health so that's production animals are food animals so things like cattle and sheep um, a little bit of horses and then pigs and chickens and things like that. So um, when you go to the U of A and you're interested in sort of animal science, there's a couple different routes that you can take and can get a good degree in agriculture with a major in animal science, um, which is sort of you have sort of range and forage classes and agronomy classes and soils classes and then animal science classes, or you can do an animal health degree and then major in sort of either production animal health or um, food safety or companion animal health. And so that's what I did is I did the food animal health. Um, so then instead of sort of soils and agronomy classes, which are sort of plants and, and things like that, um, I ended up taking a bunch of like immunology, um, zoology, um, um, and a little bit of animal medicine in terms of uh, entomology and parasitology, those kind of things, um, just because that's what I found that I was more interested in a little bit more. Now in the work that I'm doing, I do wish that I'd taken a little bit of those soils classes and stuff like that, but there's always room to grow and learn as you go through your career. So, yeah. You obviously, well, you threw some big words at me. At me. So uh, you're obviously, you're, it's okay. It's okay. Um, I used to work in geoscience and uh, um, you definitely have a real, real uh, interest and passion in science. That's that's for sure. Has, has that always existed for you, or? Yeah, I think I've always been a science nerd for sure. Like I have memories of being like a little kid and like walking around the yard and talking about uh, like acting like I'm kind of like David Attenborough and like narrating nature things. Well, like looking at different bugs and stuff. I love insects too. So that's another thing that I was drawn to with parasitology and, and insects. Um, 
I was always obsessed with like going out in nature, which was big and like looking at bugs or insects or like ponds, catching frogs and snakes and things and bringing them home. Um, Animals in general and nature as a whole um, is kind of where I've found that I really like science. And so then of course, like biology is a pretty easy fit. I do find like physics and chem and stuff interesting, but biology is definitely like where my heart is. And yeah, I've always kind of been a science nerd. I think I still like, always I'm trying to like learn and, and grow and stuff. And so this and lots of different podcasts and books and stuff that are all mas- mostly science-based ones. So. so you mentioned biology, you mentioned animals as well. So, and you also did mention that you were very interested in becoming a veterinarian. What, what sort of uh, steered you in a different direction? What, what sort of got you going away from that? Yeah, so that's a good question. So I, there are most people, you'll find a lot of people that are working in animal agriculture at some point in their life did want to be a vet. And I think that one of the things that happens is like, if you know that you like animals, you're, that's one of the main careers that you see as being involved with animals, right? Is like, oh, a vet, right? Um, so then when I got to school and started meeting all these other new people and talking to different professors and stuff like that, and there was all this, it was like these big sort of, all these different options opened up with looking at like, there's all these other careers that are involved. And I think one of the things that I'd always seen like working and volunteering in vet clinics and stuff like that through high school and middle school is kind of, this is gonna sound bad, but kind of like all the people that are involved um, that you're more sort of dealing with the people um, than the animals themselves. Now I like people, obviously I'm an instructor, I teach them, but it's, it's a different context when you are a vet, I think. And I also think that there's a lot of pressure. Like I know that mental health in the vet profession is like one of the, like they're one of the, one of the careers that is right up there with like, I think dentists and air traffic controllers with the highest suicide rates of any other profession. So I think it's, it's a really hard because either you've got all this pressure to deal with this person's pet, which means so much to them. And if they, if you can't fix it, or if it's super expensive, you become this bad guy. Um, Or if you're talking about production animal um, medicine, then this is this person's livelihood that you're dealing with that, that you're having to cost them a lot of money or things like that. So I think there is rewarding parts of veterinary medicine. Um, But I think I just decided quite early on like in my academic career that it wasn't right for me. So then I started looking at kind of other careers that were out there and I knew I wanted to be involved with animals in some sort of way. And I just kind of followed my passions really. And that's why I ended up doing that animal health degree um, and things like that. So yeah, I think that's kind of what what happened. Okay. Um, So obviously it was just a lot of pressure, just different, yeah. You're sort of just reiterating or or telling me that you, you had a lot of pressure in the industry. You didn't want to deal with that. And there's just a lot of other aspects of veterinary medicine you didn't want to get into. But uh, with that said, you sort of steered, steered yourself into teaching, which is kind of a real right-hand turn. So, to, so how did you get into that? Like, what made you look at that profession? Right. That's a good question. So I, after university, I worked at a friend's um, ranch and I helped cattle out their cows. They cattle out about a thousand head on pasture. And so it's really great. You get to be outside all the time and like dealing with cattle and calving seasons, like my favorite and riding horses and all that kind of stuff. That was great. And then I knew I wanted to do something that was a little bit more challenging for my mind. And I ended up working with a company called Feedlot Health Management Services, which is a veterinary consulting company based out of Okotoks and they are um, really well known like world renowned 
um, as being this consulting company that um, does consulting for feedlots and cattle producers kind of in general all throughout the world. So they have clients in Mexico, in the States, in Canada, um, some a few places in like Russia and China, those kind of things. Um, but what I did there is I managed research trials for them. So they are consultants. So they have people that are nutritionists, they have people that are veterinarians, they have people that are specialists in terms of research, but what they're recommending to whatever their, whoever their clients are, these feedlots or whatever, um, is all based off research that they've done in house. So if a client comes and says, Hey, like I'm able to get this like feed, um, really cheap from the next town over. And I'm just wondering what it's going to do to my production. Is it going to like have a negative impact on animal health or is it going to be like, um, cause the animals to take longer to sort of finish those kind of things? So then feedlot health would say, well, let's do a trial. So, I worked there and was managing trials and they do tons of trials, like over a hundred trials a year is what kind of feedlot health is doing. Um, and they have lots of research project managers, which is what I was doing, um, where you're, each project or each research trial that they're doing is assigned to one of these RPMs or research project managers. So that's what I was doing. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And I learned a ton there. I also learned to do cattle postmortems there because any animal that dies in any of their sites gets a postmortem done um, just so that they can keep track of sort of illness rates and death rates and all those kind of things. It's just all like data collection essentially. Um, so that was really cool and I was learning lots, but I knew that I didn't want to do that forever. I knew that it wasn't a job that I wanted to do long term. Um, it was a lot of like sort of being on call for things when trials were going on and, and essentially being a grad student for the rest of your life, which is not not that fun. So randomly, randomly, I was hiking with one of my friends. I like to do lots of hiking and that kind of stuff in the mountains. And, and she said, you know, it'd be great if we just could have all summer off. And I was like, yeah, that would be great. She's like, we should just be teachers. And like, you know, when sometimes things like that happen in your life and like, it's like this little grain of sand and it's in your head and starts like itching at you. And so I I knew that I didn't want to do this forever. And so then I actually started thinking about it and I knew a couple of people that were teaching at the college level and um, I contacted them and talked to them um, and like just to see if I need more education because I did just have an undergrad degree um, and they said no like we try and get people that have sort of applied like industry knowledge and have worked in industry um, because we think that that's really valuable for our students because at the college level we're not like trying to be science experts or anything like that or, or we're teaching them undergrad things we're trying to get them prepared for industry so that was great so I just kind of kept in contact with Lakeland up here. Um, the reason I liked Lakeland over say some of the other colleges in the province was that they do this thing called the student managed farm. So they have a farm on campus um, where they manage about 250 beef cows, about 300 dairy cows. We used to have some sheep, but we've sold them now. Um, and we've just got some equine. And so the students in their second year of college here, they manage that farm, so it's super hands-on super like more like real life sort of management decisions and stuff like that. So I really like that idea. Um, the college also has over 500 ag students alone. So it's like one of the bigger ag colleges in the whole province. So I really like that as well. Um, so yeah, then I just kind of kept in contact with them and they um, ended up kind of having one course that was available to teach. They didn't have a full-time teaching job come up for a while, but they had one course that was available. Um, and they said, would you want to like come and move here and teach this one course? And I was like, oh, I can't like afford to just move there and teach one course. And, but then they said, wait, 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 
we also have this dairy barn position. And when I was going to school at the U of A, I milked cows the whole time I was there just as a part-time job kind of um, while I was going to school. And I also learned a lot there, but I said, oh yeah, I can probably do that. They said like, you're, you're like, probably, probably this isn't exactly the job you might like to do or like, we you know, long-term you want to teach, but um, this is a job that you could do like full-time and be making that full-time um, wages and then just teach this one course, the one semester. So I, I did. And then after that semester, um, I really liked teaching whatever. And then the next year, a full-time position opened up and I got it. So, so in other words, you, what you already knew, there was a, an opportunity, not a full opportunity, but the door was just sort of open. You sort of, and you took it and you sort of just wedged it open a little bit further after about a year. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one thing that I always try and tell my students too, is like, try and go through the doors that open and don't be stuck to like a location or like necessarily maybe a person like you're thinking, Oh, my boyfriend lives in this place. So I need to find a job in this place. And depending on what kind of job you're trying to get or industry, you might have to move somewhere else to get sort of a job, even to get your kind of foot in the door um, in a job in an industry that's really interesting to you, especially in agriculture, like the industry that I'm in, obviously it's very spread out all over the place. It's not a job that's stuck to sort of city centers, which in some ways is nice, but it is very spread out and you do have to kind of be flexible lots of the time with where you're moving. So I think it's really important to go through the doors that open um, because you never know what, and to not think that any jobs are below you. Like a lot of people I think would have thought like, well, working in the dairy barn and milking cows maybe like that's you that's more you have more education or anything like that that doesn't matter like you should be willing to um learn things and my work at the dairy barn working in that dairy barn here at the college has helped me a lot in sort of um understanding the farm dynamics out there and like even things with regards to things that i teach in my course so yeah that's that's kind of what i think so there's a big learning curve when you, yeah. So when you worked in the uh, in the dairy barn as well, there's there's a lot of things that you learned there that you're applying to your class as well. So it was it was a bit of an apprenticeship, you could almost say. Kind of, yeah, and and it was more to do with like understanding how the college, the the academic side of the college worked with the farm, and understanding it from both sides, from like the farm side, and then also the academic side. That's super that helped me a ton when I first started out because the student, whole student managed farm idea is like something that's really weird and like hard to kind of wrap your head around and so I think that that was a really nice way for me to transition into learning that student managed farm side of things. That could definitely re relate to that because um, I used to work in a university as well I worked as a technician and it, interesting enough a lot of faculty members a lot of professors that I dealt with really didn't understand what was going on the technical side Mm -hmm. um, so to see both sides, I mean, that's a big plus and you can definitely give a, give the students a little, uh, different, different perspective, I guess you could say. Yeah, I think so for sure. And I also think it's one, like something that is always like always really bothers me is when people think they're better than certain people or things like that. Like even at Feedlot Health, um, this, this like multi-million dollar, like huge company, like the owner has a private jet, like that kind of thing. But like everyone was on a first name basis. There was no, none of this like doctor so-and-so or whatever. And like, it just feels like much more of a team environment in that way. And I think the same could be said for things like in different universities or colleges or whatever, where like there's different levels of staff. And I think sometimes faculty or um, people in sort of leadership teams 
get that get that bad rap of like rap of having this like sort of thinking that they're better than some people and I don't think that that should be the case kind of thing so yeah I think that helped a lot with me coming in on the farm side yeah definitely having a hierarchy is, um, makes it I think I think yeah the, the way of think the way that the, the new way of thinking I think is um, that old school hierarchy um, I think it makes people feel very uncomfortable and mm-hmm. um, at least my perspective is is just people that are yeah people that are doing the um, well the technical work the people that maybe aren't faculty um maybe they're not faculty but they're still doing a lot of the work and they're doing a lot of things that maybe a lot of people don't know how to do as well um so and it all needs to be done everybody needs to work together so you you bring something really important up yeah the hierarchy so when somebody's looking for a job maybe that's something that they they perhaps want to consider is just a kind of how how is the uh how is the environment structured is it old school or is it new school type of thing Mm-hmm. I also think one thing to keep in mind too, when you're looking for jobs or figuring out where you want to be is like, think of the best managers or bosses that you've had, or think of the type of boss or manager you would like to have or like to be. Would you rather have a boss or a manager who's done all of the jobs at that place, including like maybe the lower, um, lower type jobs or what you'd think of as lower jobs um, and done all the jobs that you would like maybe be doing? Um, and then works their way up? Or would you rather have a manager or a boss that just comes in at that level and that doesn't has doesn't understand everyone else's job and then is just trying to tell everyone else what to do? I don't think that's, at least for me, that's something that I think is super important is like trying to make everyone feel like they're part of the team um, and not just coming in and, and acting like you know everything because you don't probably. And um, there's people that have different skill sets out there, so. Yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up because most businesses that do really well, um, even your Fortune 500 businesses, usually the CEO that's worked his way from the bottom all the way up to the top, usually those businesses are prosper a lot more so than somebody who just steps into the uh, into the role because they they understand what's going on. Yeah, for sure. I think that's super important. And then you and you as a staff member to that boss are much more willing to do things and and help them out and work the extra hours or whatever. If there's something comes up that that has to happen, if you have a boss that you feel like they understand or respect you, then if you have a boss that has no idea what you do kind of thing. Yeah. Um, So how many years have been working there? It's been. I think this is my. I want to say this is my fourth, I think, third, fourth, third year full time. This is my third year full time. So fourth year overall, because that first year where I was like dairy barn and then just teaching one course. So when you actually went into teaching, I mean, I would think that would be pretty nerve wracking. Was it or did we Um, work this at all or? A little bit. Like I do remember, I think it was like my first lecture and um, one of the other the chair of the egg department decide who like we got along really well and I'd known him for a few months because I'd been working at the dairy barn already by the time this course started he decided to come and sit in on my first class and didn't tell me <laughs> and I like <laughs> was talking and I had my slide up and I was talking about something and it was reproductive physiology which is something that I'm really comfortable with and I was talking and I flipped my slide and it had a picture and my mind went completely blank and I could not remember what I was going to say with this slide. And I'm like not the type of person that writes things down normally anyway. So I didn't have notes or anything with me. And I just stood there and I was like, I'm like, 
And I was like, what was I? And then I just like flipped the slide, like I went to the next slide. And then my brain like kicked back in and was like, oh yeah, this is what I was going to say. So then I was fine. I think that's the only time I ever felt nervous after that. It was like fine. Um, I think one thing that I think has helped is like, yes, I'm, I am, I might not seem like it, but I am an introvert. Um, but I think I'm also like, I am the oldest child of like my siblings and also of like all kind of this friend group that we had growing up as the oldest. And so I think I kind of naturally fell into this sort of like, almost like teacher mentory shippy type role. And if you ask my siblings, when I first started like thinking about teaching, like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like, that's what you do. Like we go to the zoo and you're spotting off all these random animal facts and stuff like that. So I think it helped that that first course that I was teaching that reproductive physiology was like something I really enjoyed and was really comfortable with. Um, and I, obviously I, it had been a few years since I had taken it at university. So I did have to like sort of jog my memory and I went through all my notes and stuff, but then because it's something that I was super comfortable with, I just got up there and talked and it. And I think that sometimes people think that teaching would be the same sort of ner- level of nerves as public speaking is. And I don't think it is. It's not comparable because when you're teaching, um, you're trying to explain something to these people that have paid money. To, I don't know. Just I think it's very different teaching students rather than having kind of maybe a presentation to your peers and stuff like I would get more nervous with that sort of thing a presentation to my peers than I would teaching. But maybe that's just me. I don't know. You bring up a couple of interesting things. Um, so you're you're the oldest out of two other siblings. Uh, and you said you were the oldest among your friends. So you spent a lot of time as you were growing up teaching. So obviously your upbringing as you, or as you were growing up, um, you felt like a teacher. So that's it. This seemed like a real natural transition for you. So it was, it was maybe something that was sort of just embedded into your subconscious and you sort of just followed that naturally. You think that would be that sort of, would that be relevant? Yeah, I definitely think so. And I think even, I mean, like we, so when we first start teaching here, we get every semester you do get peer evaluated. So it's when two of your other instructors um, that work at the college, they come to one of your lectures and they come to one of your your labs and they sit in and then they evaluate you. And then you sit down with the dean and you go through the evaluations and see how you're doing. And so that has happened like this year, I'm not getting evaluated for the first time in the last four years, but every other semester that I've been here, I've been peer evaluated and like, I always have gotten really good feedback on like my teaching style and my classroom um, sort of work and that kind of thing. And I, I do think part of that is that natural thing. I think the other thing with teaching sometimes is like that it doesn't matter how well you know the subject matter or how smart you are in that certain subject matter if you can't explain it to your students. It doesn't matter how well you know it. It doesn't matter. Like, I always think, like, I've heard this before, um, and there, I can't remember exactly the wording, and I can't remember exactly where it's from, but it's like where if you, it doesn't matter if you have a PhD in something, if you can't explain it to a five year old what your research is in, then you aren't an expert, or you shouldn't consider yourself an expert, I think, because you can't break it down to sort of those simpler levels or change the way that you're explaining it. Cause when you look at the students and they're clearly not understanding it, okay, then how you have to switch your brain and figure out, okay, how can I better explain this? 
And then some, then when you see those light bulbs go off, it's great. So I think I do have kind of this natural ability or, or like from the feedback that I've gotten, I think I do have this natural ability to kind of do that switch, like switch my brain thinking and trying to explain it in ways that the students or, or other people would understand. So. Yeah, no, you bring up a good point there too. Um, yeah. If you can't explain something to, yeah, to a five-year-old, then you probably don't have uh, a well enough understanding of, yes. the, uh, of the topic. I, I've heard, I've always heard this before. If somebody, somebody says something's complicated and I can't explain it to you, uh, you better stay away from that person. I, as far as I'm concerned, because they they really don't even understand what they're talking about. Because yeah, you should be able to break something down so simply that yeah, a five year old, a four year old could could understand it. That means you understand the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, what I also found interesting is what you said is it's um, so standing up in front of students. It's not like giving a presentation. It's um, you're you're giving instructions. So yeah, I, I've never heard anybody analyze it that way. Uh, to me, I would I would be I, I would think most people would be nervous in front of students, but uh, yeah, you bring up you pick up a real interesting point, um, which kind of leads me to some other things. Um, as you got into teaching, um, what are some of the misconceptions that people have about teaching? Or if you want to get into teaching, what are the, some of the misconceptions about the whole about the whole um, profession? Um, that is a good one. <laughs> I think. I think. I think one of the misconceptions is that maybe you have to always be like an extrovert or like super personable or really like people. Cause I am none of those things really. And, um, but I do really enjoy teaching. I think, I think, and I think in this case, you have to differentiate between sort of teaching um, secondary or primary students. So like students in junior high or high school from like adult learners that are, you're teaching something that they have signed up to take that's not sort of mandatory, right? I think it is different. Um, and they're hopefully, hopefully in best case scenario, they're a little bit more interested in the subject matter um, because they've signed up to take this. So I think it is a little bit different. Um, and because of that, because they've hopefully signed up to take this and chose to take it, they're generally, I, I would guess, a little bit more engaged or a little bit more enthusiastic than sort of maybe they were in high school kind of thing. Um, so I think that's true. I do think that one thing, and I've talked to like a, my other like instructor friends, but we all have talked about this at some point, like when you're, te- when you are teaching or, and not just lecturing, but when you're in lab or when you have a student come and ask questions and you're like, you are on essentially, like, it's like, you have this like teacher persona. And so it can be quite draining, but it, it, it's super rewarding, I think, is the one thing is like when you see those students and they're really understanding it and like, or they feel comfortable just coming to you and asking for extra help, like that's super rewarding, but it, it you do have sort of this other persona. And so I think that is part of the thing that maybe helps with even the nerves, maybe when you're, when you do start teaching, because you're not really being, it's not exactly yourself. There's parts of you in there, but you are like on and I think that you have to be that way because you don't want to like try and let sort of maybe you're having a really crappy day that day or whatever. And so you don't want to like get let that get into your classroom that day because it's not the student's fault if you're having a crappy day or anything like that. You still have to be that person that is their teacher, right? And it's still your job to kind of teach them. I think that's one of the things maybe people don't realize. 
I also think like at this college level, at least, and I'm sure it's the same in like high school and stuff is like the marking and the prep time is a lot. So we don't have TAs at university level. I know they have TAs that help with sort of marking and things and maybe even teach some of their labs, but here we don't have TAs, so we don't have extra people to mark. So like I have, my first year classes will have like a hundred people in my anatomy class and I have to mark all of their lab assignments and all of their midterms by myself. And it is a lot. So um, I think that's, one of the things that is tricky um and especially when you're first starting out the prep time for a course like you might have one hour of lecture but it might take you four or five hours to prep for that one hour of lecture even if somebody is giving you material if they had old material from the person that taught it previously or whatever you have to sit there and figure out how what you're teaching makes sense to you because you can't just go up there with somebody else's slides, even if they made were perfect. And that person taught the course for five years, you have to make them your own and how they make sense to you so that then you can turn them around and explain it to the students. Right. Um, so I think that people maybe don't realize that. And then I think after you've taught the same course, maybe four or five years, it gets a little bit better. You don't have to prep it as much, but like still in your second year and third year, you're tweaking things. You're like, well, this didn't work. Like I need to change this or because the students did not understand this or this thing really threw them off that I thought wouldn't throw them off. Like you do have to, you put in a lot of work. So I think maybe people don't understand how much work it is and, and, I mean, if you're a good instructor, you care about all that stuff. And so you do put in all that extra work um, in the subsequent years, even after that you've taught it for the first time. So when you're teaching, do you find um, from year to year classes will have uh, different personalities? You'll have yeah. students that, that if you taught a course, for example, last year and you taught it a certain way, the lights went on. Uh, this year, the, the lights just aren't coming on the way they did before. So you have to adjust things. Do you find that at all? Or? Yeah, for sure. And I actually just not that long ago, I was talking to one of the other instructors and we and I was saying, I'm like, like each year of students is so different. And so like each cohort kind of essentially has their own personality and stuff. And um, and yeah, some things, some years, some things that will work for some students. And they'll be like, oh, this is great. I really like this diagram or whatever. The next year they're like, whoa what like what is that like no this doesn't make sense to us like get it off the slide kind of thing and so it definitely and then there's some years too that students will be more challenging they'll challenge more than other years um it's just I think everyone can probably understand that if you think back to the way that it was when you were in high school or in junior high and you think of like maybe the grade above you and the grade below you and like your grade you know that each kind of grade or each kind of year like has their own almost like personality as a group of students. And I definitely think that's the same thing with the, the college students here. So yeah, you'll have some that are like really like much more challenging or much less challenging, or maybe they really didn't like one class or they, and then they really like another class and you're like, oh, usually it's the other way around kind of thing. Cause I, teach like multiple classes to the same group of students on um, most semesters. And yeah, there's some cl some classes where I'm like, oh really, you guys don't like this one? Whereas like other, other groups or other years of students had really liked it. I think the other thing to note like this year with all the COVID stuff, it's been so different. Like we all as a collective have said like, 
the students are struggling a lot more. And so like collect collectively, we've seen like a lower averages on all their courses and stuff just because of that. And we, I get it. Like it's harder. Every, it's harder on everybody to do all of this. So It's interesting you brought that up because I was talking to a friend of mine who works at the UFC and works in engineering. And uh, he does a lot of counseling. He said, yeah, overall, since COVID, the marks have just dropped off drastically um, and students are really struggling. That's interesting that you bring that up. That's, that's, that's the dimension that, um, yeah, that's another dimension that, uh, that, 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 that came into play just well, last, almost a year ago. So it, it, yeah. How did you guys deal with that? Like, how did you deal with that? I mean, that, that really threw a ball, that really threw a, a ballpark, a, a real big curve at everybody. How did you, yeah. How did you guys deal with that? So we're so lucky, like we're so like, yes, things are harder and all that kind of thing, but like, because of where we are in the middle of nowhere. So there's like not a lot of cases around kind of thing. We've been pretty lucky. Um, last spring, like last March, when everything kind of first shut down, we did go fully online. So everyone was working from home. I was lecturing on my computer screen like this to the students. Sometimes they'd have their cameras on, sometimes not. Those students, at least I knew already because I taught them for the last like year and a half or, or half a year. So I knew them. So I, it wasn't as hard as, as far as that goes, because I knew them already. And I could tell like kind of if some of them weren't showing up, we did sort of recordings of voiceover PowerPoints where sometimes I would literally, there wouldn't be students, but I would just be, you can, PowerPoint has this function where you can record your voice over the slides while you're, where you're playing through them. And so I do that and then just post it. And the students then could like go and listen to it and, and clip through the slides. And I would even be like drawing on the slides and kind of things like that. So we did that last spring just because we kind of had to. And then all of our exams even were online, which means of course for us, like we had to make them differently because they couldn't be just like the same multiple choice and like short answer exams as we'd used in the past because then they could just have their notes, right? Because essentially all of them were open book exams and so I what I did is I just made them sort of like long answer like written questions which is really hard for marking but like I thought that was the best way to understand if they knew the material we did that and then we weren't sure what was going to happen in the fall and there's all this back and forth and all this kind of stuff and then the college decided because like in accordance with like guidelines we could go into what we call like a blended format so we have at Lakeland, everyone is in person in the, in the agriculture department. All students are most, almost all students are in person for all their labs. And if they're not in person, it's because they cho chose to stay home um, just because maybe they had health concerns or something like that. Um, but almost all of them are in person for all labs. And we're able to do that because our labs are in small enough groups that they can fit either in the lab space that they're in or in the classrooms that we have available to us with social distancing in place. So they'll still be six feet apart. They still have their masks on all the time when they're inside any of the buildings. And sometimes even when we're outside, if you're within six feet. So um, we've did that all last semester and now this semester. And then for the lectures, because most of the time, obviously they're all in person in a classroom, what we did is kind of, all of the classrooms on campus have a new capacity based on COVID numbers. So that's like making sure that they're still six feet apart. Some of the classes, we actually have like plexiglass partitions on the tables between students so that they're still spread out, but they still have to have their masks on at all times. Um, and so sometimes we have half of the class in front of you in person, depending on how many will fit in that classroom. 
and then the other half are online. And so you're lecturing to both online students and in-person students at the same time. Um, I think like we as a group of the instructors the ag, in the ag department, some of us have found it like much more challenging than others. Like I'm finding it challenging, um, but not as bad as some of the other people are. Um, I think sometimes some of the things that are hard to remember is like, don't forget that you have students on your computer. So like some of them have gotten mics so that they can walk away from the computer and be lecturing um, to the students online and in person. But I don't like to do that because then I feel like I forget about the ones online as much. So I just stand in front of my computer instead of walking around the classroom and lecturing like I normally would. And yeah, then I can at least keep the chat, like we use Microsoft Teams, so then I can keep the chat open and paying attention to those students. Um, if they want to have their videos on, they can, but most of the time I'm screen sharing my PowerPoint um, or whatever material I'm using to lecture. Um, and then I have the ones in person. So though I'll have like, I posted like a group A and a group B. So split my class into halves for some of them. And then group A comes in person on Monday, group B comes in person on Wednesday. And like when they're not in person, they're supposed to be online. So that's what we've been doing. The one thing that we have found that has been actually really nice is that in terms of guest lectures, so sometimes you have this guest lecture that you'd really like to get in for talking about, I don't know, like succession planning in your, in your course or something like that. And so because they're in like Calgary or somewhere else, like maybe even on the East Coast, like you're not going to be able to get them in their schedule and get them here kind of stuff. But because everybody's online now, we've been able to get some guest lectures in, which has kind of been a benefit. Um, and I also think all of this stuff that we're learning how to use with this technology and all that kind of stuff will hopefully, um, we'll keep using sometimes in the future when it, when it will, this is kind of a um, supplemental material, I guess I would call it for courses. So I think that's like important to keep that in mind that we're trying to look on like the bright side of things and like, so this one, I know we'll go back to in person because I do really miss teaching everyone in person. It does suck. So, and with masks on, so you don't, I don't know the students and what they look like. The first years this year, I feel so bad for because I don't even know what their whole faces look like. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, but yeah, you bring up a couple of points. Like I know, um, yeah. The fact that with technology now, and I know last year I there's a conference I attended to, and it was it was virtual, and that was that was, a, that was actually I enjoyed that more than going to it live, simply because um, the, the lectures were spread out over a month, opposed to crammed into a weekend, and you had time to absorb it, and plus they were recorded, so you can go back and watch it a couple more times if you, if you mm -hmm. chose. So. And yeah, I think it's easier on people. You don't have to fly all over the place. And I think it's easier on students as well. Um, you said some students want to stay at home or for whatever reason, maybe they just want to work at home and it's just easier. So it's, I think, I wonder from your perspective, I mean, do you think that become might become a more of a norm? Um, people from across the country, just going to a different school on, on the other side of the country because they could just watch the lectures and do the work online opposed to just being there. I think it will for some programs. And like, I know that there's already, obviously there's already online programs for lots of different degrees or, or master's programs or things like that. There's lots of online stuff. Um, I think 
we have talked about it at our school and I think the only one that could maybe potentially do an online program would be our agriculture business school. Um, all the other ones like the animal science technology program, the one that I teach in and the crop science technology and the animal health technology, all these kind of things, their lab component and the hands-on component is what like, it, that's what differentiates us from everybody else. And like, it has been a real struggle to, there are, I think I have two students that are fully online just because they stayed home for health concerns or whatever. And like trying to figure out, like I go out and I teach them how to do silage samples and dry matter calculations. I also teach them like anatomy stuff with like dead things. Like trying to do that online is not even close to the same. Like we have a course that teaches animal handling. So how do you teach students how to move a cow through a shoot system or how to properly sort of bridle in and halter a horse or whatever, you, you can't do that online. So I don't think for our program it will, but I think there are lots of programs that that maybe is being looked at um, in the future. And to bring us to interesting points. Um, what is some of the, I mean, aside from COVID, because um, we could talk about the COVID problems till, yeah. till tomorrow morning and uh, we just don't have that much time. But what are some of the other hurdles you face that you think people don't realize about teaching? Um, I think, well, I think like I've already mentioned the whole like marking and prep thing, like the yeah. amount of time that you actually put in while the school year is going on, you don't really have a life whatsoever. You just kind of teach and mark and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think then people think, oh, it's so late, like it's so laid back. You just have the whole summer off and like, yeah, it is nice to have the summer off, but you need that summer off because you're so drained by the end of it. Um, I think maybe one of the other things like I find like sometimes, and I think our school does a good job of this, um, but sometimes it's probably hard to stay connected to industry or those kind of things if you're teaching in post-secondary stuff. Um, that sometimes it's that that whole differentiation between like the scientist side of things that just does research and just stays in or like the practical applied side of things. Um, so I think that that could be something that would be hard if you're generally if you're teaching, you're not as involved in sort of the practical applied side of things. And I think we do a decent job of it at Lakeland, but I think that that's one of the things that is tricky. Um, I can't really think of much. I think the other thing that maybe people don't think about as much, or maybe they do think of or realize it, but they don't think about it as much is like how much like people skills and psychology and like is involved in teaching, especially like I would say, especially with these students that are just out of high school that are now supposed to be adults. Like they are all because of FOIP, they're covered by FOIP and like we're not allowed to talk to their parents about anything unless they've signed off on it and that kind of thing, but you'll still have like their moms calling you and being like, oh, well, so-and-so is not able to come to this lab. Like, I, I can't talk to you about it. I don't know why you're calling me. Your, your son is 20 years old and I don't know why you're calling me kind of thing. So things like that, we're like dealing, like re recognizing that like a student hasn't been showing up or maybe hasn't been themselves. And like, trying to balance that line between being like, hey, like I just wanted to check in on you and like how, like see how you're doing. Like, is it something with the course or like, because you don't want to, it's not your job to be a counselor or anything like that. Like that's not our job, but we're the ones that are in contact with them the most. And so realizing that, that 
if anyone's probably going to pick up on something that's going on with a student, aside from their friends, it's probably the instructors that are going to pick up on something before maybe the counselor, unless they go and seek out this person, right? So I think maybe people don't realize how much we care and, and work that we put in on as far as that goes. Like we have weekly meetings in our um, at the college within our program team. So all the people that teach like the same groups of students and we'll have like at some time during that meeting to be like, hey, is there anyone that you're worried about in terms of marks or like not showing up and stuff like that? Like there's a lot more of that probably than people realize. And, and I think maybe it's, it's probably different at university level, right? You can't really do that when you have a class of 600 students and you have five different lectures of that same chem class, right? For first year chem, like chem 101 or whatever. Um, but I think at, at Lakeland, we do a lot of that, so. Yeah, that's sort of, I think, what separates a college from a university. Um, I think what you're describing to me is your the, the interpersonal relationship. I mean, you get to know the students really well. Mind you, in a university environment, I know when I work there, by the time students get into their third and fourth year, the groups are getting smaller or the class sizes are getting smaller and smaller. And everybody seems to be on a first name basis and you get to know people fairly well. Um, I mean, obviously, it's a very rewarding uh, career. So, I, I mean, when you're standing in front of the students, you're seeing the light go off in their head, um, their, their eyes pop open, they, they, they finally get it. But what are some of the other things that, I mean, you've hit on a lot of things that you like about it, but any other, any other things that you would want to bring up that, uh, that you find really rewarding about the job? Um, yeah, like, I think I really like when you hear like, cause like we, like, obviously, like you said, like we build a relationship with these students when we're here or whatever. I really like when I get to hear how they're doing later on. So like when they stop in, um, they'll stop in at the college or you'll have their sibling come in and you're like, Hey, like, are you so-and-so's like, are you related to so-and-so? Oh yeah, that's my brother or my cousin or whatever. And because we're like a smallish egg school, like we have a lot of a lot of that, like where families kind of come and stuff. So I like doing that. I like hearing how they're doing and what they're doing. And actually this week I'm having one of my students that was in sort of, I think my first year of full-time teaching, he was um, one of my students and he's coming back and guest lecturing this week on Friday to my students now about like all the stuff that he's doing with regenerative agriculture and carbon sequestration and stuff like that. So I think that's really cool to see like where they are. And I do wish that like there's some students that I wish I, I'm like, oh, like, I wonder how so-and-so is. And like lots of them, like they'll send you a friend request on Facebook. And so I'm friends with them on Facebook. It's a little bit different than like them stopping in and like having a chat with you and stuff like that. I think that's really cool. I also like one thing that I think I didn't, I don't realize how much I like, but I do like also when there's like new instructors and like helping them to try and figure that out. Then it's almost like you're, you're teaching them as well. Like be like, well, this is what worked for me or this is, or they come to you and like, oh, I'm struggling with the student. Like, what do you do and when they're frustrated and then you're and like all this kind of so I really like that too I think helping other instructors be better instructors and, and like also like getting them to help me when I'm struggling with something so I like that that teamwork aspect of it I guess so with that um if there's anybody that's looking to pursue a profession like yours or that they're not sure what to do and they're considering teaching I mean whether it could be um, animal science it could be mechanics or anything like that any other any recommendations that you would have for them um like I don't I would just like start by doing research I guess like that's kind of what I did it was researching kind of what you kind of needed in terms of credentials 
most college level things don't like they require you to have one level higher of education than what you're actually teaching. So even in terms of like trades things, like we do have a trades program um, here at the college. It's not as big as like Nates and States, whatever, but we do have a trades program. So as as long as you're sort of one level higher, I think education wise, um, you can instruct. I think um, I think the way that I did it and other the opportunity that I had to do it with like the teaching the one course that first time and that it was something that I was very comfortable with in terms of the material set me up for like the best case scenario like taking one course so it's not as much prep and as much marking as like a full course load um, and it's something that you enjoy so you're not sitting there having to like deal with something that maybe yes you you do have an education background in but it's not your favorite um that wouldn't have been as good so I think that's what I would and it, it never hurts to like reach out and like send an email to somebody or phone call to somebody at the college, like a, um, their dean or their chair for that department or whatever, just reach out. It doesn't hurt to do that. It is like awkward somewhere sometimes, and I totally get that. Um, but I think it never hurts to just let them know that you're interested, because that's kind of what I did is I made them let them know that I was interested. And then whenever when this opportunity came up for this one course, they said, hey, like, I know that this, this Amy, um, person was very interested in teaching and so then they're the ones that actually reached out to me with that one course as an opportunity I didn't they didn't advertise for it or anything it wasn't posted it was just they didn't have to because it was one course so that's what I would uh, that's what I would say yeah cold calls that's that's interesting that you're that you're bringing that up because the person I was interviewing yesterday is a sales rep and that's what she does cold calls and uh it sounds easy but it's not. And she said the firm that she works for in, I think, two years or three years that she's worked there, they've had about eight sales reps reps that have been hired and sort of just disappeared or left left simply because they can't make those cold calls. They're, they're mm-hmm. tough to do. But having said that, I think that's encouraging. That, uh, yeah, we're, we're all nervous making those cold calls. and um, But it doesn't hurt to do it because you never know what might happen. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts that you would like to throw out there about your profession or people that want to get into it or um, people that are maybe interested about it or anything that you want to just throw out there as closing comments? Uh, not that I can think of off the top of my head. Like I, yeah, I just, I find, I do find it really rewarding. And I think, I think it's not for everyone. Like it is like stressful and having to deal with, students and and people that are kind of upset sometimes or not doing their best or that kind of thing like it is hard but I really enjoy it and really find it rewarding um I think you should not get into it if the only reason you're getting into it is to have summers off because it's that's not that's not the best reason you know that was like kind of the the little seed that was planted in my head about it um that's that was just the seed but it's not the whole the whole tree I guess I would say kind of thing so yeah, I don't know. I think, yeah, I don't, I don't think it hurts to reach out to people like I was saying, and I don't think it ever hurts to try. There's, you'd be surprised probably even, I don't know at the university level, but probably at lots of different college levels or whatever, how often they have like a one-off course um, that they're looking for somebody to teach that they just hire on a contract basis. So like I said, it doesn't hurt to reach out. And if you are interested, that I think would be your sort of your best bet. Okay, well, um, at this point, I think I'd just like to thank Amy for uh, joining me on the Career Guy podcast. I mean, I think she's really given us, give, given me and a lot of a lot of our listeners some insight on 
what it's like to teach at the college level. Uh, it definitely sounds like a very rewarding job. She's very passionate about that. And um, I just hope everybody just enjoyed the call as much as I did or the interview as much as I did. And with that, I think I'd just like to say, well, um, thanks very much. Thanks for your time, Amy.